0: All right. Last week we um, started a discussion of how the Bible was recorded and transmitted. Mainly, kind of looking just at the uh, some basic facts about you know how the Bible was written down. You know, different things of of, of that nature, language in general, and how how that influenced the writing of the scriptures. So. You know, one of the things we talked about last week was the uh, importance of the the written word and the understanding that even by the time of Moses, writing was already a well-established discipline, something that people were already well-practiced uh, in. Uh, we think about the uh, Egyptians and their hieroglyphics, which weren't really, a, they, they were a form of, of writing, not that we would think of, you know, hieroglyphics are that... that Pictograph—they were pictures that represented words and ideas—and um, I think last week I showed you an example of some of those. But of course, you've probably seen um, hieroglyphics before and what what they look like. And then there's cuneiform, uh, which came on the scene about 3,500 BC. Uh, that's significantly early. Thinking about that's about 2,000 years before Moses. Uh, and cuneiform is that that type of writing that's uh, made with like a wedge shape pressed into clay and it's in different patterns and based on the pattern you know what is trying to be said. Uh, I showed an example of that and to me it honestly just looked like a bunch of chicken scratch but they, somebody was able to read it at one point or another.
1: Was it is care what uh, Hannah and Robbie uh, well, in?
0: Most likely, it was largely Babylonian, Sumerian, that region and There's a little bit later, I've got some pictures of some cuneiform documents um, that uh, we'll we'll talk about just a little bit. And then I mentioned this, uh, what we're calling the Proto-Sinatic script. And it's really the first alphabet that came around about 1750, again, about two to 300 years before Moses. And this was an early alphabet that uh, it's there on the left side of your screen. Uh, well, no, that's the Phoenician alphabet, which was based on that proto canaanite script, which was developed in the Sinai Peninsula around 1750 BC and is really a basis for most written language in the West, especially in the Western world today. If you look at that, um, There on the left, that's the Phoenician alphabet. Um, And if you look at some of the the letters, they look an awful lot like letters that we still use uh, today in our our alphabet. For example, uh, this figure right here. Well, if you turn that on its side, you've got a letter A, right? Or, um, you know, and and not all these correspond, but but this one was really intriguing. This letter Q looks an awful lot like how we write a Q, the circle with the little line at the bottom. So this is the basis of written language. And especially in the West, when you get into um, Greek and languages like that, a lot of these same symbols or similar symbols are still used in, in those languages. On the right side here, those are uh, two examples of the Hebrew alphabet. The one on the top is the very early Hebrew alphabet, which Moses probably would have used when he was writing the, the Torah, the Pentateuch. Uh, if you look at it closely, and it's read from right to left. So if you look at it, it matches up in a lot of ways with that Phoenician script. And then below that is what we typically think of as Hebrew uh, with a little bit more uh, flow to it with the vowel points and things like that. Um, the point of all this was to, to say there's no good reason to think that Moses was a stranger to the written word. Some people have claimed that over the years that Moses, that, that Moses was too early to be able to write anything, but there's plenty of evidence that there was writing well in existence, well before Moses. And think about Moses' upbringing, right? He was raised in Egypt as a, lack of a better word, as a grandson of Pharaoh. You think he would have had a good education? Would have known how to write? I would imagine so. So um, uh, by, by all means, definitely, Moses would have known writing and um, the law emphasizes the importance of writing for communicating God's will to His people. That continued to be the case as they recorded history and prophecy, and down to how do we know God's will for the church today? It was written, right? God wrote that, or God inspired men to write about Jesus, about the church. He inspired Paul to write two churches and, and other, you know, Peter, James, and other writers that wrote to churches. He inspired John to write the, the Revelation and, and his letters and the Gospel of John and all of these examples. How do we know about God, about the church, what He wants for us? It's all right there in the written Word, uh, which has been passed down throughout the generations, and we can still read it today. I
1: think with Moses... It shows how God uh, plans for things. Absolutely. Because most of, uh, pretty much all the Hebrews were almost treated like slaves, and probably if they had their own language or something. They weren't being taught language, so they probably didn't read and write very much. But then Moses being done like that and taught, so that he could do the writing and teach people. Yeah. They may have even
2: taught Aaron.
0: It's almost like Moses knew what, or God knew what he was doing, did not
2: it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you had the written Ten Commandments that he obviously understood, and the people understood. Yeah, what
0: did, so. yeah. I don't know where that argument comes from that Moses that, that Moses couldn't have known writing. It, it just seems so out of left field, given the evidence that we have. But that was something that I read as I was preparing for for this lesson is that that was a claim that some made. But it it just it falls apart when you look at the facts.
1: People who were claiming that are people who were claiming that the whole Bible was written after Christ died. Sure. It was by a couple of men. But they didn't have writing like that. But then you get into the history and like I said, the Hammurabi, uh, some of the Hammurabi laws match. It uh, yeah. was doing matches with what uh, God said with the Hebrews. Yeah,
0: That was actually something we mentioned last week is that the, the law code of the Hebrews, the, the, the Torah, looks a lot like other law codes of that day there are similarities which is what you would expect if it's written in the same time period that it would look similar and maybe even some of the same laws because what are the laws that how many of the laws that God gave Israel were simply about how to treat your fellow man right isn't that what Jesus said that summed up in love God you know, those are the laws that have to do with worship and purity and, and things like that. But then love your neighbor. How do you treat your neighbor? So much of the Torah, so much of the laws of the, the, the first five books of the Bible deal with how to treat your neighbor. Um, so and again, it's all written down. It's all right there. It could be read. It could be understood. It can still be read and understood today. We, we can learn from the Old Testament We have our commandments in the new, how we ought to conduct ourselves. Paul told Timothy, you know, I've written so you may know how to conduct yourself in the church, which is the house of God or the the pillar and ground of the truth. Um, So we know because it was written down. It was written in three languages. We typically think of two, but there is a third one. It's very limited in its use, but mostly in the Old Testament we find Hebrew which was the language of the Israelite people, probably named for an uh, ancestor of Abraham. Name was Eber or Eber. And that's how they get the term Hebrew, going on down through the lines. Uh, they were called the Hebrews in, in many circumstances. But also in some parts of the New Testament, mainly in Daniel and Ezra, there's a couple of other passages that, that, that reflect it. But mainly in Daniel and Ezra, there are passages that are in language Aramaic which is very similar to Hebrew and was the language of the Jews after the the Babylonian exile, the common language. Now, they still used Hebrew in the scriptures, but their common language, the language they spoke um, day to day would have been Aramaic. Jesus spoke Aramaic. There are Aramaic phrases in your New Testament uh, that like, for example, when Jesus raised a little girl, he said, Talitha kumi, or I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but that was an Aramaic statement. Um, when he cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was in Aramaic. So parts of the Old Testament were written in Aramaic using the same alphabet that the Hebrews used, or a very similar alphabet and very similar language. Uh, but there are some differences, but not, 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 not enough to... Uh, make a huge difference. And then, of course, the New Testament written in Greek, specifically Koine Greek, which was common Greek around the time of the first century and was the, um, for lack of a better term, international language of the day. Now, if you went to certain places, you would, people would still speak their own languages, but many people would also know Greek. Kind of like today, you go to other countries, they're going to speak their native language. There's a good chance you're probably going to find a lot of people who can speak English because it's kind of become an international language of trade, business, diplomacy, that kind of thing. Uh, So it's kind of the English of its day, I guess you could say. Um, But it was, you know, Norman, you mentioned how, you know, God had a plan, you know, like with Moses. Well, this is a great example of God's plan. You remember in Galatians 4 and verse 4 when he said, In the fullness of time, God brought forth his son, born of a woman, born according to the law. Well, if you, there there are several factors that we think probably contributed to that fullness of time and the prevalence of the Greek language being so well-known, so widely available to so many people made that the perfect time for Christ to come and the message of the gospel to begin to be spread because the Greek language was so prevalent and well-known. They could write in it, and it would be able to be read pretty much wherever they sent it. So those are the languages of the Bible, which we spent some time with last week, and probably spent more time than I needed to with tonight, since we covered it before. But um, another interesting thing to think about, and you know, this is—I don't guess this is necessary to know, but it's interesting. And and when we get into the next section and we start talking about manuscripts, some of this can be kind of important to understand, but what did they write on? What materials did they use to write on? Some of them we might be able to, you know, think of pretty readily, like parchment and uh, papyrus and and things like that, and we're going to talk about those, but there are a lot of materials that people would write on in that day and age. For example, they would write on stone. They would write on, on stone. Let's turn to Couple of passages. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 27, first of all. And then after that, we're going to go to Joshua 8, verse 30 through 34. So, Deuteronomy 27, 2 through 8. And I'll go ahead and read that one. But if somebody wants to go ahead and turn over to Joshua 8, 30 to 34, and read that one for us in a moment, um, it'll be helpful. Actually, I'm going to back up to verse 1 in Deuteronomy 27. It says, Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep the whole commandment that I command you today. And on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land that I, the Lord your God, is giving you, you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. And you shall write on them all the words of this law when you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God has giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord your God, the God of your fathers, has promised you. When you've crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I command you today on Mount Ebal. You shall plaster them with plaster, and there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones. You shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. I think, um, no, we'll keep going. Verse 7, you shall sacrifice peace offerings and shall eat there. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, and you shall write on the stones all the words of this law very plainly. So Moses was commanding them to take these stones, plaster them over. That was a common thing to be done. They would cover them with plaster and then write on them. Anybody got Joshua 8, 30 to 34? I think that's the right passage. That's the one I have written down anyway.
2: Go for it. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel and Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, has commanded the children of Israel as it is written the book of the law of Moses, an altar of old stones, over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered it only a birth offering to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And they are in the presence of the children of Israel. He wrote on the stone a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel with their elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as he who was born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them were in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings according to all
0: that is written in the book of the law. All right, so they wrote on these stones like they were commanded. And of course, that goes back even further than, than Joshua, but what were the, the Ten Commandments written on? Tablets of stone, right? And and to, to this day, some of the oldest examples of Hebrew writing that have been found are carved on stone. Um, you can find that still in some archaeological sites today where they were writing things down, carving it into stone, and it's been preserved through the generations. Uh, clay, which I guess in some ways is related to stone because you know it's hard packed. Um, it's, it, you know, uh, written on and then baked, usually baked in the sun or in a fire, and so it gets hard and it becomes a, a tablet that can be read for generations. There's a only really one example in the Old Testament mentioning the use of clay, and that's when Ezekiel is told to take a brick and draw out a plan for Jerusalem on it and and kind of set up a little mock siege against that city. It was kind of a a theatrical type prophecy. Um, But that's kind of the idea is he took clay and wrote into it and used that to... Uh, display what God wanted him to display. Here's an example of uh, cuneiform on clay. That's from the uh, document known as the Chronicle of Nabopolassar, from 608 to 605 B.C. Nabopolassar is the ruler of Babylon that preceded Nebuchadnezzar. And this tells of some of his conquests, that kind of thing. Uh, And then the Nabonidus cylinder, Nabonidus, succeeded Nebuchadnezzar. I don't have anything from Nebuchadnezzar. I apologize. But uh, I have the one before and the one after. This is actually a very important piece of um, archaeological evidence because there are things within the Nabonidus cylinders that help us to confirm or correspond with stories in the Bible, like in the account of Daniel, help us to uh, see that those things were uh, happening and are recorded elsewhere. Uh, outside of the Bible, at least uh, adjacent to um, what was going on. So again, those are just for interest. Um, kind of see what these things look like. Um, sometimes they would write on wood. Um, you don't think we have a lot of examples of this. But there's one mention of Ezekiel writing something um, on wood and it being used to... Um, Again, it, you know, Ezekiel had a lot of those prophecies that were kind of theatrical. Uh, there was a, a a show, I guess you could say, that went along with it. And that was an example of that in Ezekiel 37. Uh, leather. Leather, of course, being, um, you know, animal skin that's been treated and, uh, and um, <clears throat> you know, stretched out and can be used... Um, for for various purposes, but uh, leather was a common, common writing medium that could be used. In fact, there are um, documents within the Jewish Talmud, which was a, a later code of traditional laws. It wasn't scripture; it was tradition that, in some cases, was treated as scripture. Um, but there were passages within that writing that explicitly required that any copies of the scriptures be copied on animal skins like leather, for example. And uh, here's an example of a document written on leather. I know that's probably kind of hard to see. It's the best picture I could find. This is a, a, a scroll of the Psalms. Not all of them, of course, but an extensive portion of the Psalms. It's found among the Dead Sea Scrolls, I think in Cave 11. Uh, if I'm remembering that correctly. The leather was a pretty important writing material um, for the Israelites especially. Uh, It was especially important for them in writing their their scriptures down, and we have an example of that uh, out of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Papyrus, probably one of the most important um, writing medium, especially in the first century. Papyrus is made from certain plants that grow only along the Nile River in Egypt, and it can be cut up and dried out and put together in a certain way that it makes essentially sheets of paper, but it's very brittle, Uh, it's very fragile, Um, and it doesn't last very long. Most of the original New Testament documents were probably written on papyrus. Because it was readily available. Um, it could be you know, used easily. But uh, it's just not, they're, just not, they're not there anymore. Because papyrus doesn't last very long in most conditions. Now there are some documents that we have. This is an example of uh, the first 14 verses of the Gospel of John. Written on papyrus, and that's in a uh, a codex form. We'll talk about that in the beginning of the next lesson. Um, papyrus was a common common tool uh, that they would use. Now, uh, a lot of what's been found has been found in Egypt. It's where it came from, but also the the dry air of Egypt was more conducive to it lasting a little bit longer. So, uh, but there's not a whole lot of Uh, of papyrus left. And then uh, vellum or parchment which similar to leather is made from animal skins treated in a different way so it's a little bit more of a paper like consistency and it's a little bit more durable than papyrus but a lot of the oldest manuscripts that we have, the oldest complete manuscripts that we have of the Bible are written on parchment. Uh, It was again much more durable Maybe not as readily available as papyrus would have been, but uh, it was uh, something that could be used to write on. And-
1: I think it was uh, the parchment, with the, you said the different treatment, was actually made a lot thinner than leather. And that's got some of its uh, better life in that, uh, where leather sometimes would have to be wet, uh, Mm. you know, kept but this, Vellum didn't.
0: Yeah, and there, there's a a um, document written on parchment. Uh, that is the Great Isaiah Scroll from the Dead Sea Scrolls from Cave One. Uh, it is a comp- almost complete. I think there's a couple of pieces that over the years have, but it's basically a complete text of the Book of Isaiah, all sixty six chapters. Found, um, I think dating to, well, I'm not going to tell you what date because I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's, it's early. Uh, I think it's before Christ as far as it's dating, but um, how well that's been preserved. And one of the, 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 the beautiful things about this, and we'll talk more about textual criticism in a future lesson, but one of the beautiful things about finding a document like this so much earlier than anything we had before is how well it corresponds to later copies. The accuracy with which these things were copied down is remarkable. In terms of, you know, what you would see in other uh, ancient documents, um, it was so much care was taken to make sure that they copied down the Word of God properly. And so, when you get, you know, a thousand years past the time of Christ and you have some of these uh, documents or these manuscripts that we have you know, in the Middle Ages, when you compare them back to these earlier examples that we, that we have, it's like 99% accurate. 99% the same. And the, the variations are li- usually things like spelling, uh, words maybe kind of being switched around a little bit, just you know, slips of the pen, that kind of thing. Nothing really serious, nothing that affects doctrine um, in any way, nothing that uh, affects the integrity of the word. So those are some thoughts on how the Bible was written down, how it was transmitted throughout the centuries. Again, you know, written on on stone, written on leather, parchment, um, papyrus, and then copied in similar ways. So that we can still be able to read God's word today. And that's what we're going to get into really in the next lesson. Is copies of the scriptures. And how important they are to our understanding of God's word today. Anybody have a thought or question before we move on though?
1: a when you think about the word, uh, some of the changes, you know, like you say, there's a lot of ways of changing. They would misspell something like words change. You know, even just the time we have. Uh, at the turn of the 19th century, there's a lot of songs written uh, with a person being gay. But that meant happy. Yeah. And That that word has changed now. So yep. sometimes you need to change words. Uh, even in the King James Bible, faith, hope, and charity. Well, charity is really faith, hope, and love. Yes. So words change. And that's some of the things, even back then, from when it was written uh, right after Christ until you get to the 2nd and 3rd centuries of the 300s and the 400s, some of those words changed. So they needed to change a word there but still keep the same meaning. Right,
0: yeah. Um, but even even then, most of the variations that we have are... I mean, when you're writing things by hand, uh, go home and try copying something by hand. <laughs> and, and and do it for hours at a time with, with very low light. And uh, if you wear glasses, take your glasses off. <laughs> See... See how accurate what you write is. (laughs) Um, Now, keep in mind that these scribes that were writing, they had extensive training. They they were meticulous in their copying, so that's why everything is so accurate. Uh, Even separated by a thousand years, you still find the accuracy. And we're going to get into some of that as we get further, but we're going to talk about... Uh, the New Testament text and, and the manuscripts uh, especially. But first, I just want to reiterate that the way we know about God and His plans and His will for us is through what's been written. What's been written down throughout, you know, the 1,500 years we'll say that the Bible was being written. Uh, Luke 24, 44 through 47, Jesus is talking to the apostles at the, before he ascends back to the Father and he speaks to them about all the things that have been written about him in the law and the prophets and the psalms, showing how those things had to be fulfilled. Uh, John 20, 30-31, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, but these are what? Written so that you may know or that you may believe, and believing have life in His name. 1 Corinthians uh, 14, 36 um, and following. um, says, let him recognize the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. I already mentioned 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15 uh, a little bit earlier. I'm writing these things to you so you may know how to conduct yourself in the church or in the house of God, the church of the living God. So the way we know what God wants us to know is written down. <laughs> it, was, it was written down so that God's people could know His will. That's true in the Old Testament. That's true in the New Testament. And, but, but, but we live, we'll say, 1,900 years removed from the completion of the New Testament. We'll assume John wrote Revelation in the 90s. I know some people will debate that. We're not going to get into that. I think it was late. <laughs> we assume John wrote Revelation in the 90s. So we're, what, 1,930 years removed or so from the, right, the completion of the New Testament. How do we know what they wrote? How do we know that what we have is accurate to what they wrote? that's why manuscripts are so important that's why we have this discipline known as textual criticism and we have many great scholars who study the 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 documents that we have so extensively and these scribes that took such great care to make sure they copied down God's word accurately And, and I'm not to get off on a tangent, but fully believe the providence of God is involved in that as well to make sure that still today we have God's Word preserved. Okay? The original documents, what we call the autographs, that's the technical term, the autographs have long since disappeared so far as we know. (laughs) We haven't found any original copies of, you know, the letters of Paul. And I don't think we're going to find any originals. Um... I think that's intentional uh, because if we did, we would probably treat them as some kind of religious relic, put them up in a shrine somewhere and probably end up worshiping the documents. Um, We don't have those and I think, I'm thankful (laughs) that we don't for that reason. But what we do have are these handwritten copies called manuscripts and you'll see that and I've even used it in my PowerPoint, you'll see that abbreviated MSS. Okay, when you see those letters, that's all it's manuscripts. It's a copy of the New Testament documents. And they were being made as early as the first century. Turn to Colossians 4 and verse 16. If you got your Bibles, i are going to open those up a little bit. We should probably do that a little bit more than we've done tonight. But Colossians 4 and verse 16. Whoever gets there, go ahead and read that passage. Uh, If you don't mind.
1: Okay, I can read it. it. Go ahead. (laughs)
0: Okay. <laughs> and see that you also read the letter from the... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, a little, little geography lesson. Colossae, uh, which indications are Paul had not visited the city of Colossae at this point. Uh, he had heard about their conversion from Epaphras, who had met Paul in Rome, which is where he was writing this letter. But he still writes to encourage them. He also writes to encourage the church at Laodicea. And we don't know what he wrote to the church at Laodicea. We don't have that, um, we, we don't have that letter preserved. But he told the Colossians, make sure they read this letter. Make sure you read the letter that I sent to them. Who do you think probably the best way to accomplish that? Make a copy, you think? And send it to Laodicea. Laodicea, make a copy. So that way they've still got the letter that Paul wrote to them. You know, they still got their copy. But now the other church can read it. And this happened, you know, churches would get letters or, you know, receive documents. Like they might receive a copy of one of the Gospels. And they would copy it and send it to another church. You know, somebody might get a copy of Luke and Acts, which probably circulated together. They would copy it and send it on to somebody else. And so you have the, the sheer number of copies that we have of New Testament documents. Unfortunately, we don't have many. Uh, I don't know if we have any that are from the first century. Uh, there may be some fragments somewhere that could be a first century writing but we do have some from the second century but you just have this massive amount of copies that have been made and were distributed throughout the church and eventually you start getting you know you might group all four of the gospels together somebody might copy all four have cop- have all four of the gospels copying them out put them together you know either in a scroll or in a codex and send it to another church. Well, then they make a copy and send it to somebody else and on and on and on. So we have all of these, these writings available um, on and on throughout the early church. And, and the New Testament is by far the best documented ancient writing that we know about there are thousands of manuscripts available and so much closer to the original documents than anything else in history i I printed out a a a chart and i didn't make copies i apologize i didn't make manuscripts (laughs) Um, i apologize for that but but let me just give you some examples of well-known writings by the way, which a lot of people don't dispute are accurate as far as what we have. But for example, the works of Plato, we've all heard of Plato, right? The the philosopher uh, in Greece, um, mid fourth and fifth century BC. uh, At least that's when he wrote, about 427 to 347 BC. Um, The earliest copy of a work of Plato that we have is from AD 900. That's a gap of about 1,200 years. And by the way, we only have a handful of copies of the works of Plato. Herodotus, the the Greek historian, by whom we know so much about the history of the world in that intertestamental period with the, the wars between the Greeks and the Persians and all that was going on in that time period. He wrote 480 to 425 B.C., Again, the earliest copies of Herodotus that we have available, 900 AD, 1300 year difference. And again, we only have a handful of copies. Homer, we have all heard of Homer, right? Iliad, not not Homer Simpson. (laughs) The, the, The Greek epic poem writer wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey. Well, the Iliad was written around 900 BC. So 900 years before Christ. The earliest copy of Homer that we have, 400 B.C., 500 year difference. And next to the New Testament, Homer is one of the best documented ancient texts that we have. According to this chart, and I don't know exactly how old this is, but I've seen these numbers before. This, this chart says there are 643 copies of Homer's writings that are extant that are still able to be read. The New Testament all of it written within a period of roughly 50 years in the first century. We'll say 50 to 100 AD. The earliest earliest manuscript that we have and and to be clear This document is a small fragment, and I'm going to probably show you a picture of it next week. But the earliest piece of any writing that we have from the New Testament, AD 130. It's a portion, or really just a couple of verses, of the book of John, which was written late in the first century. We'll say around 90. So we're talking within 40 years compared to 500. And the number of manuscripts that we have number in the thousands. This chart says 5,600. I think this chart's a little dated. <laughs> I think there are a lot more than that that we've discovered since then. But just the comparison, okay? Homer, 500 years between the original and the earliest copy and less than 1,000 copies in existence. The New Testament, you're looking at less than 50 years from some of the the original writings to its earliest copy. And there are thousands. And by the way, a lot of those copies, about 99% accurate, 99% the same. And again, that 1% doesn't make a whole lot of difference. It's just slips of the pen, spelling errors, Uh, maybe some numbers get transposed or something like that. So, you know, nothing that affects doctrine. And again, we're going to talk about that more as we get into a later lesson, but that just to show just how well documented the New Testament is. And we have all of that information that we can compare with and see that what we're reading today is what they were reading then. We're just reading it in our own language. Thank God for that. So we're about out of time, so we're going to have to stop there for this week and we'll pick up talking about manuscripts next week and we'll talk about some of the, uh, the most important manuscripts that we have. The one that I mentioned of the text of John. We'll talk about that one a little bit and um, some others as well. So uh, looking forward to that. Uh, I don't know if we'll get out of lesson five next week, (laughs) but if you want to go ahead and start prepping for the next lesson, uh, if you're reading the book, which the book is kind of supplemental. We're not going like, you know, I'm getting my information from the notes. I'm not getting all my information from the book. I'm taking things from this, and you know, kind of putting them together. But this is mostly for your benefit. If you want to read it, uh, there's a lot more information in here than we can do in a 45-minute class. Uh, but chapters seven through ten cover uh, this lesson. Was chapters three through six about the manuscripts? Chapters seven through ten will tie into the next lesson. But I don't know if we're gonna quite get there next week. We'll see, <laughs> it's hard to say. But um, yeah, did you have one more thing to?
1: Real quick, one of the things that keep these, there t- the people who copied them were very learned, like the scribes and the government. them. But even at that time, the majority of the populace was probably illiterate. Yeah. and. It's the way that uh, we have advanced. Now, I don't know, some of say there's still Americans who are illiterate. I don't know what the percentage is. But I do know that in some countries there's still a, a good amount of illiterate people. Mm-hmm. But we now have a lot more literate people, so we now have more writings in that. And that's why the ones that were done are <coughs> A lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, those who had them, you read them. That's right. On the keepers, because they had to read it to people who couldn't.
0: That's right. That's right. For sure. All right. Well, we'll pick up there next week, talking about manuscripts. And I uh, hope that it'll be interesting to you. I find it fascinating, <coughs> to be honest. Um, might be dull and boring to some folks, but... Uh, <laughs> I enjoy it quite a bit. So we'll pick up there next week. And Lord willing, uh, continue with our study.